Welcome to At Home and Abroad with Harrison Walker. Join us each week as we follow our curiosity, diving deep into the familiar and the foreign. Reach beyond your front door as we uncover new perspectives, explore intriguing ideas, and have real conversations with the best guests. Ready for something different? Let's get started. Thank you will never be enough. He gave me life. It's the most remarkable thing a person can do, risk his life for another human being, a stranger. These are the heartfelt words of Erin Green of Montreal after 69-year-old William Ayotte heroically saved her from being killed by a polar bear on her walk home from a Halloween party in Churchill, Manitoba in 2013. On that fateful morning, William Ayotte had been watching television. It was 5 a.m. when he heard Erin Green screaming. Still in his pajamas, he opened the front door of his home only to see a 275-pound polar bear with Aaron Green in his mouth. According to Ayotte, he saw the polar bear wagging her around in the air like a rag doll. Ayotte knew that to wait for the polar bear patrol would cost Aaron her life. Time was of the essence, so instead, he took matters into his own hands. He grabbed what he could, a shovel, from his front porch. Ayotte recounted to the media, Once I grabbed the shovel, I was pretty well committed to doing something. With a shovel in hand, he made his way in the direction of the bear. Meanwhile, Green was not faring well. She had lost a great deal of blood and was quite weak. She said, I'd come to terms with the fact that this was going to be how I died. But she hadn't counted on the heroic efforts of William Ayotte. He was able to distract the polar bear by striking it right in the eye. Shocked, the bear dropped Aaron, allowing her to escape to the safety of Ayotte's home, but now her savior was the bear's new target. Neighbors were drawn to the scene as Ayotte fought for his life. They shouted, they shot a flare gun and firecrackers, but it wasn't until someone drove straight at the bear in his truck that it finally decided to back off. Ayotte was in rough shape, but alive, and thanks to his immense bravery, Aaron Green also survived. Yet Ayotte does not consider himself a hero. Aaron, though... She refers to him as an angel in disguise. William Ayotte received the Star of Courage, which is the second highest award for bravery available in Canada. It is an award which recognizes the acts of conspicuous courage in circumstances of great peril. Holy smokes, what a story and what a humble guy. Mm -hmm. And thank goodness for the quick thinking of the neighbor in the truck that ultimately saved Ayotte's life. Yeah, polar bears are fierce adversaries. I can't even imagine taking one on with a shovel. I know, right? Ant might have been wearing pajamas and slippers that night, but he could have easily been wearing a cape for sure. Yep, Erin Green had it right when she said, heroes don't have to look a certain way. So true. You have to love these everyday heroes who just rise out of nowhere and take on the most terrifying and dramatic situations. In fact, the hero's journey, also known as the monomyth, which you may not have known, Walker, is quite an intrinsic part of storytelling, isn't it? I could give a million examples. Okay, just a few will do, Harris. Oh, you don't want a million? (laughs) Not today. (laughs) Okay. Well, some of the most well-known tales are, of course, The Odyssey by Homer or even Harry Potter or even better, Finding Nemo. Oh, that was such a cute movie. But there's no wonder why we love a good heroic storyline. Heroes are defined by their selfless bravery, which is often exemplified through the act of saving someone. Mm-hmm. Putting their life on the line for someone else. Right. They're admired for their selflessness. We, of course, praise and revere heroes because of their remarkable bravery. And yet there are people who could be considered heroes just for doing their jobs every day. 
Take, for instance, our respected military personnel who are prepared to defend our freedom every day, or the first responders who risk their lives every time they walk out the door. You know, I have a friend who used to be a police officer, and he never left for work angry or in a disagreement with his partner, just in case he was to die on his shift. Wow, that is certainly something most of us don't have to think about when we head off to work. Thankfully, no. Of course, the same could be said for firefighters as well. Absolutely. But heroes aren't always those who find themselves in life-threatening situations. There are real heroes in our hospitals, saving lives every day. So true. And at the helm of an airplane, Captain Sully Sullenberger, now there is a hero, Harris. What a story that was. He was certainly able to perform his job under extreme pressure. And because of that, he saved so many lives. Right. The miracle on the Hudson, it was called. Mm -hmm. Captain Sully successfully landed U.S. Airways Flight 1549 in an emergency landing on the Hudson River back on January 15, 2009, after the plane hit a flock of Canadian geese shortly after takeoff. Captain Sully and his co-pilot, Jeff Skiles, found a way to safely land the plane saving the lives of the 155 passengers on board. Yeah, it was just totally incredible. Bird strikes can be catastrophic, especially Canadian geese. They are not tiny little birds. Did you know that Denver International had the most reported wildlife strikes in the U.S.? followed by Dallas-Fort Worth and Chicago. According to Richard Dolbeer, science advisor, and Michael Begier for the USDA's Airport Wildlife Hazards Program, since the miracle on the Hudson, the FAA has put $30 million into research into radar and scanner systems to help detect birds in the path of aircrafts. Well, that's good to know, because when mm -hmm. Captain Sully's plane came into contact with those geese, both engines failed, Harris. Yeah, that's not good. No, not at all. The plane actually continued to climb after the bird strike, but then at 3,060 feet, it started to lose momentum and then nose towards the ground. Can you imagine how terrified everybody was on board? Uh, completely. But Captain Sully took her down to the Hudson, knowing he didn't have any other viable options. He landed the plane safely, no easy feat, on a river, and the passengers were then successfully evacuated. It's just unreal. You know, he even managed to land near boats, which allowed for passengers to be rescued more quickly. Did you know that? No. Wow. Yeah. But what is really amazing and speaks to the quick thinking and heroic actions of Captain Sully is how fast Saul went down. The plane and the geese collided at 3.27 p.m. Then just three minutes later at 3.30, the plane was flying above George Washington Bridge. And one minute later, Captain Sully had successfully landed the plane. Captain Sully was a former fighter pilot who had been working as a commercial pilot for nearly 30 years. He also was experienced with gliders. With this immense amount of experience, he was able to successfully glide the plane to safety on the Hudson River. And not only did he save everyone on that plane, there were very few and minor injuries, right? Yes, just some hypothermia as a result of the cold Hudson River water. That's incredible. Did you know that I've flown a glider walker? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My Kiwi bestie was a glider instructor. And for some reason, she thought it would be a really good idea to take me up. And she even let me fly. Well, my father used to fly gliders as well and always wanted to take me up, but I was too hesitant. That's mm. neat. Yeah, it's neat, but it's weird not having the sound of the engine when you're that high above the ground. Yeah, I didn't know that about your dad either. I'm learning yeah. a lot today. So can you imagine if Captain Sully hadn't landed in the river, though, Walker? That is a very densely populated area. Oh, for sure. Now, we'll never know how many lives Captain Sully saved that day, really. 
Yeah, it's often difficult to measure the extent of the effect of heroic actions. Yeah, so true. Some heroes change the lives of others and even save the lives of others through the goodness of their hearts. Our guest today is Father Bruno. Father Bruno is an Episcopal priest who has served the vulnerable in the Dominican Republic and Haiti his whole life. Growing up in a small town near Haiti's capital, Port-au-Prince, it has been his greatest wish to make education accessible to the children of Haiti. In 2002, his dream was realized in the building of Ecole Saint-Barthélemy, which educates, feeds, and nurtures 1,000 students each and every year. Welcome to At Home and Abroad, Father Bruno. Good morning. Thank you. I'm really happy you know, to be with you and uh, to do, I will do my best, you know, to talk about, you know, my life uh, and uh, also what we have uh, done, you know, doing my ministry. You have accomplished so, so much. So you had the benefit of education as a young man, and this led to your lifelong conviction that education is the key to the improvement of the lives of the Haitian people. How does education have the power to change lives for the better? Well, um, it's a longer story, really, but I'll do you know, my best. <laughs> okay. When uh, my father died, my mother had uh, seven children. And uh, myself, uh, at that time, I was... Uh, seven years old. So imagine that uh, seven children and uh, my father was a shoemaker. Mm -hmm. My father and my mother, they were really in a very uh, difficult uh, situation, economically, you know, speaking. Mm -hmm. So my father died. And my mother had, you know, seven children to raise. Mm -hmm. We went uh, through very difficult times because I remember, you know, when uh, I had, you know, to go to school at seven, I was seven, and uh, without breakfast. Okay. Without the breakfast. But my mother always, you know, encourage us. She said, well, when you come back, I'll find something, you know, for you. So, you know, so we did that. We went to school and when we come back, sometimes we didn't find anything. Oh, no. <laughs> no food. <laughs> no That's food. That's so hard. I remember, you know, when uh, we went uh, back uh, home, I said, Good afternoon, mommy. Zoom. And we go, you know, to the kitchen, you know, to see if uh, there was something, you know, <laughs> some activity, you know, in the kitchen. Nothing at all. Yeah. And at that time, I have, you know, to tell you, schools are in Port-au-Prince. You had, you know, to go from 8 to 11 and from 2 to 4. Okay. So we went back uh, in the afternoon without anything in our belly, in our stomach. All day long, yeah. All day long. But my mother always encouraged her to go to school because she said, you know, to all of us, that's the way tomorrow you will be able to help your mother 
and uh, the kids. Right. So that's uh, that's uh, what the, the kind you know language she had you know with us. And we will go to school, and in the afternoon when we came back, there is uh, something you know uh, we could uh, eat. So I have uh, spent all my uh, uh, youth, you know, like that, until uh, my last uh, class, uh, which uh, in Haiti we call uh, philo. The philo is uh, the last uh, uh, grade, and uh, after that you go to university. Okay. But uh, this last grade, philo, was uh, a, you have to pass it, you take uh, the national exam to pass it. Okay. At that time, I was, you know, the top student uh, when they give, you know, the exam, you know. Wow. Congratulations, (laughs) Father Bruno. That's an accomplishment. (laughs) Well. Because, you know, my mother, you know, always uh, tell us, you have to study. This is uh, the only way you can help us to leave, you know, that uh, kind of situation, you know, we are in. Mm-hmm. Well, after that, I apply, you know, to go to seminary. And the bishop, uh, we were seven, and the bishop had to take one person. And he told the others, well, uh, I'm really sorry because uh, I have you know, to give uh, to Jean Monique, you know, the opportunity. So I went to seminary. I went uh, to Puerto Rico. That's where you know I had you know my seminary, mm-hmm. and uh, went uh, back uh, to Haiti. I was ordained, but I had you know in mind this is a way to help, you know, my people through education. Absolutely. Through education. And uh, when I went, you know, to Cap Haitien, the first thing, you know, I did was uh, to try to have a very good uh, school in Cap Haitien. Mm-hmm. And after that, I said, well, I have, you know, this school in Cap Haitien. I built through friends, you know, people, you know, really in the in the states. I built a, a vocational school because uh, some of our people, you know, would not be able, you know, to go to other school. Mm-hmm. And um, I built a, a school in uh, Limonade, which is uh, not too far from Capaisien. That was. Uh, and another school to Trudino, <laughs> Trudino, which is uh, not too far from uh, Limonade. Okay. So three schools you built. Three schools uh, in, in the area. And uh, while I was uh, in Santo Domingo, because I went you know, to Santo Domingo in ni- 1999, and while there, Friends, you know, helped me to build another school in the, where we are right now. And it's an exceptional school. Tell us a little bit about it, Father Bruno. This school 
it's really, as you say, you know, an exceptional in a school. <laughs> uh, when I started at that school, uh, we had uh, around uh, 200 uh, children. Uh, in 2001, mm -hmm. I started at the school. Right now, as you know, we have uh, 1,100 uh, children, more wow. mainly, right? That's right incredible. Now. Yes. So I talked, you know, to my friends, and they helped me with uh, scholarships because most of those uh, children right now, you know, they live uh, on scholarship. Right. They can't afford to pay. Mm -hmm. they, they cannot. They cannot, no. really. They cannot. Plus, uh, what we, we give them, you know, uniform, boots, uh, and so on. Plus, plus, we feed them every single day. Yeah. And that is that's something that is very important to you because of your own origins and not knowing where your next meal came from. And just to have that consistency for children is so important. And it's so nurturing beyond what it does just physically for the body. That's true. That's true. So those children, I'm telling you, they come to school every single day. Mm -hmm. Not only, you know, for the fact, you know, that they have, you know, to have a good education, but also... And, and the same thing, you know, what happened to me, one meal, some of them, you know, they have one meal and that's at the meal they eat, you know, at the school. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very, very difficult. And also the idea, you know, came out to me, you know, to start uh, a clinic. Right. A clinic. I did read about this. Is this in Terrier Rouge as well? Father Bruno, it is clinic? it is okay. close close to the school, close to the school because uh, also sometimes you know they get sick and you have to find a way, you know, for, to send them, and uh, so we have the clinic uh, and the clinic uh, is uh, open you know to everybody in uh, the area. Okay, so not just the children of the school, but everyone. No, not just no, no. Everyone in the area, but for this, for these children, you know, it's free. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's it's fantastic because that yes. has huge yeah. uh, ramifications for the, their families back home. If if that mother of seven kids like you were doesn't have to worry about one or two of hers getting their meals or being taken care of medically that's a huge burden off her shoulders and she can focus her time and energy elsewhere so that that's has right. huge impact on on the community as a whole that's right and i heard too father bruno that you also do other things um within the community like food outreach helping people with the maintenance of their homes. Can you tell me a little bit about what you do beyond the, the walls of the school, aside from the yes. clinic, maybe? Yes. Uh, we, first of all, I help a uh, lot of people who did not have you know, a place uh, to, to live. When, when you see you know, some of uh, the houses, in that area, 
really your heart. I mean, uh, you feel really you. I cried, you know, sometimes. I have been to tell you that. Yeah, yeah. And um, I have been involved uh, in building houses uh, for the people there. And um, I have, you know, to tell you, in the Teyewuj, from the time, you know, I was there, uh, well, right now, you know, two years ago, I, I said, you know, let me take, you know, uh, some rest a little yes. bit. <laughs> Well-deserved rest. <laughs> I built uh, in the area around uh, 52, 53 homes for people, you know, there. Wow. People uh, who did not have a uh, way, you know, uh, with the family. And uh, I talk, you know, to my friends. I have a lot of friends, you know, in the States, you know. Yeah, not surprising. You're a pretty friendly guy. <laughs> when someone, you know, when someone, you know, come to me and say, oh, you know, what can I do for you? I say, oh, well, not too much, but if you can uh, find me the money you know, to buy two or three houses, I will be happy. That would so, be very helpful. so i would be very happy you know and they find the money for me and so on and so on and uh so we we build you know uh houses you know for people there and also when uh, people those who do not have you know any means uh, to go to the to the clinic we say oh come come to the clinic and uh, we, we we take care, you know, of them. So nobody would come, you know, to me will not find, you know, something. Some support from you. Some support, and... you know, any any I never turn anybody away without uh, having, you know, something at least. Or if I don't have anything, which is very uh, rare, I will. Uh, at least, you know, give him a word, you know, consolation or something. You know? Of support and inspiration, because even if there's a family who's not receiving your support directly, the support they see in the community gives them hope as well. So it has this That's, far-reaching, positive yes. impact, a beautiful, beautiful legacy in that area of Haiti. Yes, uh, but really, I never send, you know, anybody, you know, empty away yeah there is always you know someone you know will find you know something a child you know like me i i went through very difficult you know time yeah very difficult time when one day i i, I was you know a very good acolyte you know the acolyte is a person you know serve you know at the at the church you know and so on Mm-hmm. And uh, one day I had you know, to go to serve and I did not have a shirt. I did not have a shirt. And uh, my brother, the first one of my mother and father, said, well, why don't you take you know, my shirt? And I said, okay. But his shirt 
was so large, you know, so big. <laughs> when I went, you know, to the church, and uh, the, those guys, you know, were said, "Oh, Father Bruno, wow, that's a, a mama. That's a mama shirt." <laughs> I said, "Well, you know that." This is a mine. He said, no, 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 that's not here. That's your mother. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I, I said, that, no, that's a new mode. That's a new mode. That's right. <laughs> exactly. You were setting a new fashion trend, <laughs> Father Bruno. <laughs> I said, that was, that's a new mode. <laughs> I made it. <laughs> Well, Father Bruno, you are an innovator, that's for sure. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about uh, the Clinic Esperanza V. I, I had, you know, in mind, you know, uh, the students are first, you know. Right. But uh, that's uh, uh, because I said, you know, when they are sick, I have, you know, to do something, you know, for them. Right. So that's why, you know, the IDK. And, uh, but uh, it's uh, for everybody. And as I said, you know, even there, if someone, you know, goes there and doesn't have, you know, any money, we take care of, uh, of that person, anybody, anybody. And we got uh, people, you know, from very remote areas, they will come. And uh, when they come, uh, they, they, I said, no problem at all. You have money, you don't have money. We have uh, to take care you know, of you. You never send uh, anybody empty away. So, and uh, I have to tell you, you know, Lord, you know, has uh, blessed us. We, we take care, good care of them. And I have to tell you also, sometime, you know, those who came, you know, from us, from remote areas, not only we take uh, care of uh, the diseases, uh, when they are sick, but uh, we feed them also. We have uh, something there. We say, okay, you take that, you know, home. Because I myself, you know, that's what I told you, you know, I suffer, you know, from always uh, hungry. Yeah. So you heal them at the clinic and then the healing continues with the food that goes home. That's right. Haiti's people have struggled with many challenges, poverty, unrest, disease, violence, and natural disasters, as we well know. How do you and your staff and volunteers find the strength and resilience to keep providing for the children? We have uh, a lot of uh, friends in the States. Most of those people who are supporting us, they have been you know, to Haiti. Okay. And uh, they have uh, seen the problems there. And uh, when they come back in the States, they talk, uh, some of them, you know, talk, you know, to their friends and, uh, and so on. Uh, and um, they have also invited me, you know, to come. Mm -hmm. And uh, I talked, you know, about uh, the situation, you know, in Haiti. And... Uh, how, you know, they can help us because most of our children are supported uh, by scholarships. Right. 
some people give us uh, 300 or 200, uh, whatever, you know, they have per year. And so in the money also, you know, to help us, you know, to pay the teachers, you know, and so on. And feed the children every single school day. God's willing, we never have one day that we cannot have thing for the children to eat. Right. Not a single day. In terms of keeping everybody going emotionally, psychologically, and just the energy of all your volunteers, etc. I mean, faith, obviously, yes. keeps everybody going but also seeing the results in the children. Yes. Can I tell you that this year, two doctors came out from the school. Really? Two doctors. And I, I have you know, to tell you, they are right now in the Dominican Republic. They are in the Dominican Republic because the person who supported them in the school, mm -hmm. the person said, I will continue to do that. So he sent them to the Dominican Republic. And now we have two doctors and they will go back to Haiti. They will go back to Haiti and there they can work. It will all come full circle again. Yeah. yeah. Remembering yeah. where their yeah. roots were. Yes. And who supported yes. them when times yes. were not so good. Mm -hmm. Wow. You've accomplished so much and inspired so many. You really, truly are a hero. We'd like to know how our listeners can best support your work. Be really in touch, you know, with us, with the school, mm -hmm. uh, supporting the school. Yes. Because uh, myself, you know, I see you know, the only way really people can uh, help us is uh, to support, you know, the school. Because um, that's where, really, the, the way Haiti itself, really, can uh, be better is uh, through education. Mm -hmm. I do believe in myself because I am myself, you know, a, an example. I'm an example, really. If uh, our people can, uh, if everybody can find a way to move step by step into education, they will be able really to help, you know, uh, the country, you know, itself. Well, we hope that our listeners do do that and do support your school. For sure, you're doing such beautiful things there. Thank you so much for chatting with us today, Father Bruno. We can all learn from you and your immense contribution to the children of Haiti. For our listeners, if you'd like to learn more about Father Bruno and the Bethlehem's Ministries important work or make a donation, you can go to www.bethlehemministry.org. Thank you so much, Father Bruno. Well, I myself, you know, have you know, to thank you because uh, you are doing, you know, something uh, super. We are doing, you know, the best uh, we can uh, for our people, but we cannot do it without you. Thank you for being, you know, our partners. 
May the Lord continue to bless you. I thoroughly enjoyed speaking with Father Bruno today. He embodies joy, doesn't he? Yes, he does. Joy and hope and just goodness. His legacy of the schools and the clinic in Haiti will live on for a long time as he has changed so many lives for the better. Like Mother Teresa. Do you think she can be classified as a hero walker? Oh, I would think so. But as we found out time and time again, people can define heroism in so many ways, like big H heroism versus small H heroism. Okay, so what's all that about? Well, Professor Frank Farley defined big H heroism as the type of actions that pose a risk to life, limb or personal safety, while the small H variation are similar to great acts of kindness or standing against injustice. I actually think that standing up against injustice can sometimes be extremely risky. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, I agree for sure. I wonder what it takes to be a big H kind of person, though. I know. Well, I don't think that it's really known yet, though, according to Professor Farley, big H people are naturally more likely to take greater risks, and they also possess a great deal of compassion, kindness, empathy, and altruism. There seems to be some evidence that men are more likely to put themselves at physical risk in order to help others, particularly if the individual being saved is not related to them. Not related to them. What's that all about? I don't know. According to Dr. Frank T. McAndrew, one of the most common fears in men is that they'll be outed as a coward. And a man who fails to display physical courage will suffer damage to his reputation in a way that a woman will not. But there also could be a possible evolutionary influence. He says, throughout human history, attaining a position of high status or dominance among one's peers has been the ticket that needs to get punched for men to attract mates and father children. Establishing a reputation as a hero isn't a bad way to quickly elevate your status and desirability. He also makes a point, though, that these decisions are not premeditated. They're usually split-second decisions and actions. Right. There typically isn't a lot of time to think about how it's going to make you appear to others. It's Mm -hmm. more of an instinctive or impulsive reaction, I would think. Yeah, it is. And some people just don't act. According to Kendra Cherry in her article, The Psychology of Heroism, Are Heroes Born or Made?, Some people might be less likely to take action because they suffer what is called the bystander effect. We all know what that is, right, Mm -hmm. Walker? Mm -hmm. You think that someone else will help, so you sit back and you do nothing. Cherry says personal responsibility is diffused by the presence of others. Yeah, I hope that would not be me in a life or death situation. Mm -hmm. The Giraffe Heroes Project is trying to promote and celebrate heroic behavior in people. That sounds interesting. Mm -hmm. It's an international nonprofit organization which honors compassionate risk takers who are largely unknown people who have the courage to stick their necks out for the common good in the U.S. and around the world. Wow, that sounds really positive. Mm -hmm. Their mission is to give people the tools to succeed and stand tall for others. That's so cool. I guess that's where the giraffe bit comes in then, right? Like standing tall, sticking out their necks. Absolutely. Their hope is that when we hear about the heroic acts of others... Others are moved to stick their necks out too, helping solve significant public problems important to them. Ultimately, it is a platform for the stories which motivate people into brave, compassionate action. That sounds so completely awesome. I love it. It is pretty awesome. They offer a searchable database of giraffe heroes and their stories, speakers, and teaching materials for classroom use. And of course, you can nominate a giraffe hero as well. That's amazing. We do tend to hold our heroes up on pedestals, but really there are heroes among us, working hard, living normal lives, but just doing extraordinary things. And Walker, heroes fulfill an important role in our society. They do. According to Dr. Scott T. Allison, heroes give us hope, 
They energize us, develop us, heal us, impart wisdom, serve as role models, offer safety and protection, give us positive emotions, give us meaning and purpose, provide social connection, and reduce loneliness. They help individuals achieve personal goals, and they help society achieve societal goals. Wow. So a hero stands for so much more than the heroic actions they actually take. Exactly. Dr. Allison says that we need them to get us through this challenging experience called life. Heroes help us survive and they help us thrive. They certainly can. And I think Father Bruno is a pretty good example of that. Or perhaps Dr. Kwane Stewart, who was named the 2023 CNN Hero of the Year. I don't think I've heard his story. Dr. Stewart offers people experiencing homelessness, judgment-free veterinary care for their pets. Don't you love that? I do. Dr. Stewart was awarded an additional $100,000 to help continue his good work. Nine other heroes were named too, winning smaller awards. But Dr. Stewart, he decided to share his $100,000 winnings with the other winners. Well, that's pretty awesome in line with his character, I would say as well. His generosity didn't go unrewarded either. The global nonprofit Elevate Prize Foundation awarded an additional $300,000 unrestricted grant to Dr. Stewart. They have a mission to make good famous and to inspire action on an international scale. Isn't that a feel-good story? It is. And I have one for you as well. During the raging wildfires in the Northwest Territories in Canada just this past summer, Jason Card, his teenage son, and his stepfather defied the evacuation orders and collected dog crates from the local SPCA. They drove to the town of Bechoco and saved more than 30 dogs. Sadly, though, in times of crisis, the animals are often left behind, aren't they? Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, yes. Like the devastating impact of the Australian wildfires on the wildlife there. Oh, that was so awful, Harris. Mm -hmm. There have sadly been too many examples of terrifying tales resulting from extreme weather. Yeah, and Travis Brady, he is a hero of one such tale. This past June, during a sudden storm in the Florida panhandle, he rescued three women from their houseboat, as well as another person who had already been trying to save them. Their boat had capsized during the storm and they were trapped. Ah, so there were two heroes in this story. Yep. Boy Jordan was the first to jump into the water. He took a two by four off the sinking boat and smashed the windows in in order to release the three trapped women. Brady and his friends on a boat in five to six foot waves, dodging debris, but they managed to get a life jacket to Boyd. Isn't that crazy? Sounds like a team effort. Did you hear about the 40 Berliners who helped push a bus off an 18-year-old last September? No, I didn't. Was the teenager okay? They survived. Remarkable, right? Mm -hmm. Not a bystander in that bunch. I love the little H heroes too. Have you ever heard of the bike whisperer? No. Bjartmar Leosin is known as the bike whisperer of Reykjavik, Iceland. He received the name because he helps find stolen bikes. Now that's cool. Sometimes a bike is someone's only means of transport, right? I know. Apparently even the police reach out to him when someone has had their bike stolen. So what's his story? Well, many years ago, he had his own bike stolen and he was pretty mad about it. Mm -hmm. When he realized that his and the other stolen bikes were sitting outside a homeless shelter, he realized that his anger wasn't going to help the situation. He learned that the bicycles were often stolen by individuals with addiction problems who are encountering long waits for rehab. He says, now when I see these guys on a stolen bike, I just talk to them very peacefully and calmly. The other day, I talked to one of these guys and didn't even mention the bike. I just basically said, tell me your story. The outcome, 
the man gave him the bike. Amazing how just listening to people, acknowledging their perspective can really address issues in a peaceful way. Mm -hmm. And now some of the original bike thieves even help Leosin out. Isn't that nice? Mm. And he's been able to return hundreds of stolen bikes to their rightful owners. He has such a good reputation now that people come to him for all kinds of missing things like tools and cars. A small H hero who continues to make a huge difference. Mm -hmm. And being a hero has no age requirement, of course. Take Greta Thunberg. She has certainly proven to the world that age is not a requirement for brave and heroic action. Oh, she certainly has. And she's just one of many young people taking heroic action, like Will Charuas, who founded We Are Forces of Nature at age 13. His aim is to combat climate change, protect the coastlines from the rising sea levels, and protect and restore one million mangroves. Why mangroves? Mangroves are really important, Walker. They protect the coastlines from erosion, they absorb greenhouse gases, and they support water biodiversity. Did you know that they act as a nursery for three quarters of the tropical fish? I had no idea. He certainly is proving that you can never be too young and get involved and make the world a better place. Yeah, he certainly is. And he's had a position on Dr. Jane Goodall's Roots and Shoots National Youth Leadership Council and has made it his mission to spread the word about the critical importance of mangroves. What a beautiful and incredibly important goal. And every step forward can make one day hopefully lead to a remarkable result. We can only hope. You know, I'm inspired by these young people and their passion. They're heroes of their generation, really. Then you're going to love 20-year-old Sebi Hall. Sebi gained the reputation as the UK's kindest person after donating 400 coats and blankets to homeless charities and 800 toys to needy children when he was just a teen. What a wonderful example he sets for all of us. Mm -hmm. He also founded the Sebi Hall Kindness Foundation. I wonder where that kindness and compassion sprang from. I don't know for sure, but I do know that Sebi first started donating during the pandemic lockdowns, raising money for laptops for his friends who didn't have one. He did this by conducting acts of kindness for the public. And you know, kind snacks, they even chose Sebi as their 2023 kind hero. A six foot tall statue in his likeness was erected by the Tower Bridge in London wearing a cape. A cape. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. It was a reference to Sebi's motto, which is kindness is my superpower. Ah, well, we need more Sebis in this world, Harris. We certainly do. Would be a much better place, wouldn't it? And more people like Michael Capone. I am a huge fan of him, so much so that I think I need to start <laughs> Michael Capone fan club. Okay, so tell us about him, Walker. Well, Michael Capone is the founder and president of GEM, which stands for Global Empowerment Mission. GEM is a charity organization which partners with others to provide aid to those experiencing global disasters. They have six branches which are located throughout the world so that they can respond quickly when time is of the essence. Well, that sounds like very important work. Yeah, if there's a disaster, Michael Capone and the people of GEM are there. So how long has GEM been in existence? Well, they were founded in response to the 2010 earthquake in Haiti. Capone initially had provided aid in the form of a plane filled with Miami Beach firefighters and doctors to Haiti and formed the nonprofit organization Haiti Empowerment Mission a year later. That was such a devastating earthquake. It was. And since then, JAM has provided relief over 355 times to 50 states and more than 57 countries 97% of every dollar Harris is donated directly to mission-related activities. And according to their website, their goal is to deliver the most amount of aid 
to the most amount of people in need in the shortest amount of time and with the least amount of cost to our donors. Wow, that's incredible. Exactly. Just two days ago, Michael Capone posted on Instagram some details regarding GEMS efforts in Ukraine. He says that their team conducts 12 to 15 aid missions a day there, five days a week, and they have provided this aid to over 350 cities and towns and 500,000 people a month. Their aid is being provided to people living in extremely dangerous areas within one to five miles from harsh artillery fire. That would mean taking on a massive level of risk themselves. Right. It's no wonder that GEM has received a number of humanitarian awards. So how can people support GEM in their efforts? Well, there are plenty of opportunities if you go to their website to donate or even to volunteer. We will link it in the show notes on our website. I have to say this episode and our chat with Father Bruno has left me feeling so inspired, Walker. We can all be a hero to someone, can't we? Oh, we certainly can. In the words of the late, great Stan Lee, that person who helps others simply because it should or must be done and because it is the right thing to do is indeed, without a doubt, a real superhero. Thank you for joining us at At Home and Abroad with your host, Harrison Walker. If you enjoyed this episode, you would be a real gem if you would rate and review our show. It helps us grow and expand our reach. You can also subscribe to follow us each week as we continue the conversation. Find us on Instagram at at Harrison Walker or visit us at www.athomeandabroadpodcast.com. We have great merch, just saying, and of course, we would love to hear from you. And for you truly dedicated fans who've listened all the way to the end of this episode, we offer exclusive interviews, outtakes, challenges, and more on our paid channel. Not even the cost of a latte once a month, depending on where you buy your coffee. 